morning, everyone. I uh, was one of those people who knocked on the door in the middle of the night, the old man with the long hair. Uh, last November, Laura's mom was in the midst of passing away, and I was an emotional wreck. It was the middle of the night, and I was doing kind of the nursing vigil with uh, her mom, and I was crying and thinking, who, who do I want to lay this mess on? And uh, Ray, you came to mind and, of course, answered me so graciously. Thank you. But um, aren't you glad this morning that God is on the throne? And because of our great champion, Jesus Christ, Satan is already a defeated foe. I'm so glad we know how this story ends, God's big story, and uh, that we're on the winning team. In this time of shaking, um, we don't even want to trust in ourselves. I want to trust in God's word that says he is able to make us stand. Amen? Amen. Um, we're not among the dead who do not praise the Lord. We're not among those who are going to shrink back at his coming. Nor are we among those whose love will grow cold. Uh, no, we're those who say, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. I uh, believe this morning that we are to focus our thoughts on resisting the devil in these days. Uh, because though he is defeated, he's not dead. And uh, we know the scriptures say that we're to be sober-minded when it comes to him. We're to be on the alert. And uh, also that we are to resist him. We are to resist him firm in our faith. You may remember the famous saying, uh, hold your friends close and your enemies closer. Uh, some of our movie buffs may have seen that uh, uttered by Michael Carleone in The Godfather, uh, uh, played by Al Pacino. He says in that movie, my father taught me many things here. He taught me in this room. He taught me, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Um, this concept of holding your enemies close uh, may have originated with uh, uh, Sun Tzu, the uh, ancient Chinese general who wrote The Art of War. He said, know your enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles, you will never be defeated. But as believers, I think we would change it up a little bit. And we would say something like, above all, know Jesus Christ. And second, know your enemy. In a hundred battles, you will never be defeated. So this morning, I want to consider closely our enemy, the devil, and our text is from James 4, 7, which says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
we're going to look at four ways to know and resist our enemy. First of all, so here's the outline. We're going to take a look at his nature. We want to understand his nature. We want to understand his purpose. Third, we want to understand some of his tactics. And fourth, we want to look at in what ways uh, and the fact that he is defeated already. Now, most of you in this room are mature saints, and so a lot of this will be rehearsing things that you know, but um, hopefully there will be some spiritual nuggets along the way as well. So let's take a look at his nature. Uh, the nature of Satan, the nature of the devil, is most uh, apparent in the names that scripture gives him. Now there's about 20, roughly 20 different names uh, that the enemy is designated. Uh, we're just gonna look at half a dozen here of the most common and uh, a few scriptures that go along with them. So um, Satan, the name Satan appears over 50 times, and this is the most frequent uh, designation given to the devil. Satan means adversary. And so when you see the name Satan, the scriptures are highlighting this adversarial opposition that uh, continually comes at the Lord and the believer. This title emphasizes the opposition to God and his program and to God's people. For example, uh, a very famous verse, you will know it, uh, says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And then also in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, the Apostle Paul writes that I, Paul, would have come to you, but Satan hindered me. His opposition is relentless, but we thank God that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? A second title is the devil simply the devil. He's called the devil about 35 times in the New Testament, and uh, this name, the devil, signifies slander and accusation. So uh, Satan, that term to describe him, means what? Adversary. And the devil means slander, and well, it doesn't mean that, but it signifies slander and accusation. We uh, see in the scriptures that he, he accuses and slanders God to man and also man to God. I'll give you an example of each one. Uh, he accuses God to man. Uh, we see in the very first chapters of the Bible where the serpent comes to Eve and even and asks Eve, what did God say? And Eve says, don't, you know, don't eat of this fruit. 
And Satan directly, the devil directly contradicts God and says, you shall not die. You shall not die, uh, as God said. For God knew, knows from the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And then he accuses man to God too, doesn't he? Remember in the book of Job, where Satan is coming before God and he accuses Job um, and accuses God of protecting Job. In Revelation 12.10, we read of the devil that he accuses the brethren before God day and night. So we got to be careful not to join in that accusation with him, don't we? Accusing our brothers, our sisters, but instead do our best to love each other genuinely from the heart. A third term is the serpent, uh, and this uh, designation refers to his deceitfulness, his craftiness, and his guile. Guile means sly or cunning intelligence, and uh, many of us, you might be thinking right now of 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I am concerned lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness that your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Isn't that a beautiful verse? That is such a beautiful verse. A fourth term is the tempter. As, as the tempter, uh, he is continually enticing us to sin. And we see this very well in Matthew 4, 3 where Jesus is in the desert preparing for ministry with a 40-day fast, the scriptures say the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Christ, the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now here, I think, is a powerful truth or a little nugget to write down, and that is that God tests us for our good. But Satan tempts us for our destruction. God tests us for our good, for our strengthening, uh, but Satan tempts us for our destruction. You might remember that line in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that phrase can, can bring some confusion to us. But in our modern-day English, a better translation of that uh, part of the prayer would be, Lord, help me to pass every test. Lord, help me to pass every test. Because in 1 John, we read that God himself tempts no one. So again, make that distinction in your mind between testing and tempting. The next phrase, the fifth one, is he is called the prince of the power of the air. And of course, this phrase connotes his rulership over demons, over evil spirits and forces of darkness. And before we surrendered to Christ, the scriptures say we walked in darkness and were slaves of sin. Ephesians 2.2, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Another little, uh, another little nugget to me is notice that he's not called the king of the power of the air. 
he's a prince, but he's not king. There's only one king, Jesus Christ, our living God. Satan may be a prince, but God is the king. Amen? Amen. We could go on and on, but the last one I want to note uh, briefly is that he is called the father of lies. Jesus himself said, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And I know that you can attest with me that when the enemy speaks, uh, there's a little bit of truth mixed in with the lie. And it makes it tough sometimes to tease out uh, what's truth, what's a lie, and where is this coming from? Before we leave this first point, I want to just say that Satan is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-present. Uh, but he's had over 6,000 years to study man and to know our weaknesses, to know what we will succumb to. And so in that sense, he is powerful. Nevertheless, we resist him first by understanding his nature. I have a, a handout up here for any who would like it uh, before we leave this point uh, of the 20 or so names of Satan and you can look up the verses where each of those are used if you're interested. And we can do that after the service. So, secondly, we resist him by understanding his purpose. Satan has as his purpose a continual ambition to replace God and to be worshipped and served. Um, this is uh, outlined in Isaiah 14, uh, starting in verse 12, and we see how here a description of how Lucifer uh, wanted to ascend to the throne of God. And let me just read those verses to you. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have been weakened you who have weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Now, in the historical context, this was addressing the king of Babylon, but there is a biblical hermeneutic called apostrophe, where the uh, one being addressed or spoken of quickly changes to another entity. And in this case, it's uh, Satan. The devil wants to crush our faith in God. He wants to keep us slaves of sin. He wants to fill us with fear. He wants to fill our minds with lies. And the one I'm especially sensitive to today is he wants to smother 
the gifts of God that have been placed in us to further God's kingdom. I remember a time when I was in China um, at Hallett's invitation, um, and we were, we were there to encourage the expats, the missionaries who were there. And I worked very hard on a message uh, that I think was a great message. But unfortunately, the man who spoke before me uh, said the very same thing. And he said it better than I would have, in my opinion. And he was funnier. And so I was scheduled to speak next. And I, I went to Hallett and I said, Hallett, I, I, I can't speak next. You got to buy me some time. Uh, and so Hallett graciously slotted someone else in. And so I went to prayer. And uh, you know what? I just had to listen to God. And uh, I had to make room for God. I'm not sure that I really made room for God in the first message. Um, but I just listened to God and I got some impressions and I shared those with the missionaries and we had some prayer. And afterwards, several of them said this was the most meaningful uh, part of the whole conference. And so that taught me that you know, the gifts that God has put in me are adequate. You know, they, you know and those are, what, those are what he wants to use. And so often I over-prepare, and so a phrase that's in my head, it may be uh, a phrase of Oswald Chambers, I'm not sure, but the phrase is, make room for God. So the enemy wants to smother the gifts of God within us. And yet, I see God as like a master fire builder uh, and perfecter of our souls, where he takes us out of the wind and the storm and he puts us in the cleft of a rock. And there he pulls out a pharaoh rod and strikes sparks to ignite the tinder of our hearts. And when he sees a little ember going, he, he lifts us up and he blows. And, and we, we become alive with him and with his Holy Spirit. And then he lovingly sets us down and lays little sticks and then bigger sticks and then bigger sticks and then logs until we are a flaming fire for him that warms his heart and brings him glory. He said in his word, a bruised reed I will not break and a smoldering wick I will not blow out. A little later in that same portion of Isaiah, he says, everyone who is called by my name I have created for my glory. So God has created you for his glory. And what an opportunity we have during this shaking to turn our back on our love growing cold, but instead say, Lord, fan the flames in me. Fan this flame until it is a bonfire. Lord, for you. Imagine with me your life for a moment 
completely unhampered by sin, completely devoid of any insecurities or shyness or shame, no secrets, but instead you're completely courageous, completely transparent, completely using the gifts that God has given you uh, to the fullest measure. Oh, you would be such a force to be reckoned with. You would be a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl uh, filled with the power and the authority of God, and you would be a magnificent bonfire for His glory. Oh my! Dwight Moody said, the world has yet to see what God would do with a man fully consecrated to Him. Satan's purpose is to usurp God's throne, and to crush God's given gifts in your life, we must resist Him. Third, we need to understand our enemy's tactics. And I want to linger on this point for a minute. It's really what drove this message. The Scripture says... um, that we might, that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Now, you guys have been believers long enough that you've experienced his schemes. Um, you know how to defend yourself for the most part. Some of those schemes are what? Wearing out the saints from Daniel 7. Just a continual pestering and tiring. Everything in your house is breaking. Your relationships are bad. You know, everything seems to be going wrong. That continual pestering and wearing out of the saints. Or how about being distracted with the worries and pleasures and comfort of this world? Um, Two days ago, I I just had one of those days where I was angry all day. And I found myself out cleaning, cleaning our pool and just grumpy and angry and complaining. And then I realized I'm cleaning a pool that's in my backyard. You know, what's wrong with this picture? You know, I'm so blessed to have a pool. I am. What, is it hot where you are, Ray? Super hot? Wow. And, you know, I just, so we can get distracted with uh, even good things and pleasurable things. And then he's always tempting us to sin. He's trapping us in addictions. He's filling us with shame and bitterness. He gets us to compare ourselves to others. And uh, we always feel like we come out on the short end of the straw there. Uh, One of my spiritual fathers, Chuck Ferris, said he thought the biggest uh, tool of the enemy was discouragement. And if you think about that word, it's just dis-courage, where you're you're just stripped of courage and you feel weak and broken in a bad way. Well, I want to highlight maybe a more sophisticated tool that I have been sensitive to or sensitized to recently, 
and that is um, it's captured in a word called conflation. Um, conflation, that word means uh, where two unrelated ideas are forced together to create a, a new idea. And usually it involves the deconstruction of one or both of the original ideas that you start with. Let me give you an example. Back when um, uh, same-sex marriage was in the Supreme Court, uh, around town we saw bumper stickers that said marriage equality. Right? You remember? Any of you remember that? Marriage equality. So what, what was the point of that bumper sticker? It was to encourage the Supreme Court to change the law and make marriage supposedly equally accessible to whoever wants to marry. So, but what had to be deconstructed? Which of those ideas had to be deconstructed to come up with that third idea? Traditional marriage. Um, another example would be, um, I was driving down Harvard and I passed a particular church and out on the marquee, I knew this to be a uh, left-leaning church, um, and on the marquee it said, um, all people are legal. This was during the immigration uh, debate when it was at its hottest, and uh, my stomach just kind of turned over and, um, and I had to think about that. What is that saying? All people are legal. Well, it's mixing two powerful ideas, uh, the value of personhood with um, legal status. And uh, what, what the hope was was to break down the idea that legal status, deconstruct the notion that legal status is even important to pay attention to. Now, I'm not trying to be political here. Those are just the best examples I can think of. But the scriptures tell us what? I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and innocent of doves, and, and, and innocent as doves. So I want you to be aware of this notion of conflation uh, and see where you can find it. Uh, I gave a couple of left-leaning examples, but I'm sure there are those on the right as well. Um, but you know what? The world knows what that means. I mean, you, I, I hear newscasters use that term all the time. That, oh, this is a conflation of ideas. Uh, so it's something we need to be aware of. We must resist the devil by understanding his nature, his purpose, and his tactics. Um, amen. amen. The fourth and last point for this morning is we understand and rejoice that the devil is already a defeated foe. 1 John 3 8 says, For the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. 
Our champion, Jesus Christ, defeated Satan in his birth when he eluded the sword of Herod by fleeing secretly under the care of his parents to Egypt. Our champion, Jesus Christ, defeated the devil in his ministry, first by chasing off Satan, chasing Satan off the battlefield of his temptations in the desert, by casting out many demons in his ministry, and then giving that same authority to his disciples who, who exercised that authority to the point that he himself said to them, I beheld Satan falling from heaven like lightning. Our great champion, Jesus Christ, defeated the evil one in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prayed in the anguish of his own sweat and blood, yet not my will, but thy will be done. Our great champion, Jesus Christ, defeated his adversary and ours on the terrible and yet marvelous cross where the power of sin and death was broken. Our champion, Jesus Christ, defeated the ruler of darkness in his ascension, where the scriptures tell us he, quote, led captivity a host of captives, making a display of them openly, triumphing, triumphing over them. And our great champion, Jesus Christ, continues to defeat this Lord of dung, this Lord of flies, Beelzebub, through his seed, the lives of the saints of Jesus Christ up to this day. The famous English preacher Charles Spurgeon writes this in his book, Satan, a Defeated Foe. He says, quote, The conflict of our glorious Lord continues in his seed. We preach Christ crucified and every sermon shakes the gates of hell. We bring sinners to Jesus by the Spirit's power and every convert is a stone torn down from the wall of Satan's mighty castle. Yes, the day will come where everywhere the evil one will be overcome and the words of John in Revelation will be fulfilled that say, and the great dragon was thrown down the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now is salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. Spurgeon continues, though the dragon is raging and continues to make war with those who keep the testimony of Jesus Christ, yet the battle is the Lord's. And the victory falls to him whose name is faithful and true. I want to pray over us uh, and read a, a, uh, from Ephesians. Would you stand with me? Uh, and let's just receive this as a blessing uh, from God's Word. Finally, and I'm going to insert my beloved friends and saints, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might.
Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then this exhortation about prayer. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So let us resist and stand firm. Amen? Amen. We understand his nature. We understand his purpose, his tactics, and that he is already a defeated foe. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. So, Father, we thank you that you are the one that is able to make us stand. We don't trust in ourselves, Lord. We trust in your grace and in your strengthening power through the word of God to help us fight the good fight of faith. And I want to pray for any here who may feel that they're losing that battle, that that uh, their love is growing cold or fear is overtaking. Father, we ask that you would touch these in a powerful way, that you would fortify their inner man, their inner woman. Bless them, Father, and help them. In Jesus' name, we praise you. Well, let's leave it there. I, I bless you. I thank you for this opportunity to share the word of God with you. Amen. Remember these handouts here if you'd like one.